1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. friends, welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery. My name is Sarah Heath and my co-host is Justin Gentry. And today we get to have one of our good friends on the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you Dr. Brad Onishi. If you don't know Brad Onishi, he has a fantastic podcast called Straight White American Jesus. We get to co-create with him along with other folks at Irreverent Media. And so we are glad to know Brad as a friend, but his work is incredible. He has a book coming out soon called Preparing for War. He's also got a TEDx talk out there that is pretty excellent. Um, And so make sure you check out all things Brad. We're huge fans, and not just because he is one of our friends. He studies and is a professor at the University of San Francisco, and he does a lot of work around Christian nationalism, looking at evangelicalism, looking at race and racism in America. He just has a fantastic way of looking at the world. And in today's episode, I hope you hear that he has been able to find that new vision and way of looking at the world by trusting his own. So again, hope you enjoy this episode and stick around for the end. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery, a podcast for folks who are thinking about leaving ministry, who have left ministry, or who are wanting to do ministry in a different way. We are so excited to bring to you today one of our good friends, Brad. So, Bradley, our friend. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. It is so good to have you here. Thanks for it's great to be here. And I I listened, I had a long commute um, and I still have a long commute at times. And so Rev Covery has been one of my shows I've pulled up. And so it's just great to kind of jump in now. So happy to be here. Riley, thank you. So friend, tell us a little bit, if you don't mind, our usual question is, when it comes to ministry, how long were you in? And what did you serve for? And we recognize fully that it sounds like we're asking what your prison sentence is. Does Justin try to prep you for? <laughs> I have a kind of, I have a, a testimony that um, is going to lead to many. I, I, I know there's going to be a lot of eye rolls uh, here as I explain this. So if you're listening and you want to roll your eyes at me, I'm here for it. I converted like very extremely from a non-religious home to like a white evangelical mega church in Orange County, California uh, when I was Which 14. Which was that? Which church? Just give a hint. Yeah, just give a hint. Uh, it's called, so the church is Rose Drive Friends Church. And if any of you are familiar with North Orange County, like kind of on the border of LA County, that is Richard Nixon country. And so there's this weird part of Northern Orange County, Yorba Linda, Placentia, Anaheim, where there's like an undue amount of Quakers, which you don't expect. You might expect them like closer to, to Justin's neck of the woods, perhaps, but <laughs> we do have those. Yeah. And, and so you're like, why are there all these Quakers in North Orange County? And so they are evangelical Quakers, which many people don't think Exist I cannot or can imagine exist. an evangelical Quaker, but yeah. I love the idea of an evangelical Quaker. <laughs> Basically, get rid of all the cool stuff about being Quaker, all the silence and the egalitarianism and the social justice. What about the and the, 
the knitting is is actually there's a lot of old women in okay. in the church that I came from that did a lot of knitting. Very few men who did that. We did have a fireside room, but yes, there's basically you put all the Quaker stuff through the ringer, and then what comes out is like a very generic Rick Warren looking church. And there mm-hmm. you go, right? And so that's where I converted uh, at 14. By 18, I was a part time youth minister at the mega church, and then at 20. The former minister got fired for drinking a beer, as one does. And uh, so I came back from my honeymoon when I was 20, as one does, and was offered the job of full-time youth minister. So after my second year of college, I was the full-time youth minister at this mega church. I was married and going to a zoo specific university. Shout out to uh, you know some of some of the folks out there who know what that is. So you, there you go. You're a dreamboat, if I'm honest. <laughs> I am just the idea. 20? You were 20. So I, I met my, my wife, my ex-wife now, when we were freshmen, when I was a freshman in high school, as I said, extreme conversion. So we were the kids in YouTube that were like, we're in love, but we're never going to kiss until wedding day and mm-hmm. you know, all that. And so oh, we did. you kissed all of it goodbye. We did. We tried. We did end up kissing before we got married, but we, oh. I know, I know, I know. I don't know how to not tell you that, but you... <laughs> so we, so we were both like in the youth ministry. So we had... Like, you know, there's a, it's a large church or it was. And so we knew all the families, we know all the kids. So when we got married, two youth pastors get married in the same mega church, there were a thousand people at the wedding, which was. I cannot, I just was at a wedding reception that was like 40 people were there. A thousand people. Yep. You were like, you, like, you were like coronated. You were like the king and the queen they, for a day. Basically, the queen just passed. So we've got some, yeah. some thoughts <laughs> no. around there. Also, I went viral. Guys, that was rough. So the queen passes and you were coronated at your wedding is basically what happened. Wow. A thousand people. And you're thinking this is God's best, right? In yeah. That moment? For sure. I mean, we um, so came back from our honeymoon and was in that role of like full-time youth pastor for the next four or five years. I, I had already done two as a kind of a part-time person. So yeah, it was like seven years total. And, you know, the plan was for us to either plant a church or to be missionaries, one or the other. And uh, we, you know, we were kind of, when we were, uh, had the wedding and, and everyone anointed us the golden children of the youth youth group, the idea was you will be the future and plant a church or go off and, and be a, a church supported, you know, missionary couple. And yeah, by, by the time I finished two years of seminary, I was totally burnt out, totally like, not sure I believe in God while leading the prayers in front of everybody on Sunday. Which, and which, um, which seminary led you to be concerned about the... uh, this? <laughs> this is once again at a zoo specific. So it, oh, it APU. Yeah, okay. yep. And mm-hmm. so ba- I got the liberal, MAR degree, liberal APU. I, that's right. Good. I mean, <laughs> that is what most people call it. The, the gateway to liberalism. Nope. Yeah. That is not what anyone is. If the gateway to liberalism is, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would read like, I would bring up like Karl Barth, I shout out to the theologians and I'd be like, bring up Karl Barth and people would look at me like, listen, bro, this is not a class on secular humanism. I don't know why you're bringing up these liberal Marxists. Yeah. Karl Barth and Jürgen Moltmann. Whereas whereas this girl went to Duke uh, seminary was like, um, guys, I don't know who this Barth guy is. We like have to read him. (laughs) Yeah. That was me. Love it. I, when I, when I was in seminary, we, so my seminary is relatively conservative as a Denver seminary and, but down the road was Iliff, Iliff, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the more, much more liberal United Methodist seminary. 
And the funny thing is like, I was terrible at reserving books. And so when I needed a liberal source, I would go to the Denver seminary library. And when I needed a conservative source, I would go to Isle of, cause they were never checked out. Of yep. course you play both sides. I oh, did not absolutely. know this about you. Just absolutely. So gaming the system. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, I'm just such a tiny, tiny baby probably like in this thing, a thousand people at your wedding. Now you're in seminary. Now you're reading all the books and you're like, Oh, wait a tick. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Give me pause. But also like, I'm, I'm now with this human. Yeah. You're 20. Yeah. Yeah. So like graduated APU and at that last year at APU was like, you know, I don't think I want to be a senior pastor. I want to be a theology professor. That's like, that's when my brain started to think, oh, maybe I don't have to be a minister. Maybe I could be like a, a professor at Biola or a Westmont or Vanguard. Oh, no, Biola right? Westmont where you're like, maybe I can get there. Right. That's the dream. That was the okay. dream. It was. And, you know, the elders didn't like that. And then when I got to seminary, you know, on my day off, like my, my pastor day off was Thursday. So Thursday, like my wife would, she was a high school teacher. So she'd go to work and I would go to the, you know, classic Christian coffee shop. And like, I had my pile of books. I just feel like we were running into each other at this time. I know I was going to say, just, <laughs> yeah. we were like the time, like the years, I feel like I would be like bustling in with all of my like liberal propaganda, just like bustling in and you're in there. I just feel like we were running into each other. It, it, no, which is and Justin I, and I met years before we actually yeah. knew each other. So all of this makes sense to me. Yeah, that's wow. I, that Yeah. I mean, that part is I will say, so I'll, I'll give you the like, you know, you I'll give you the very bleak like window into this is like by the end of it, you know, I would get up. My wife taught zero period English. And so she would leave the house by like 530. Right. And so like I would get up at the same time in solidarity and then I would just go to the, the coffee shop. So I'd be at the coffee shop by like 535 or something. And I would stay there till like 855 when I had to go to go to work at the church. And so I would eke out every moment I could have like learning Greek or reading, you know, some Latin church father or, you know, Thomas Aquinas or some, whatever was going on at that time. And I would get to the church and I would stop at the bottom of the stairs because I knew that the senior pastor's wife, who was the secretary, she would sit at the front and she was going to quiz me. I'm like, oh, what are you learning in seminary? And like, what do you, what do you, what, show me the books in your bag. And what do you, and, and so I would stop at the bottom and I often would just think like, I just wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. You know what I mean? Because I saw no way out and I was so burnt out and I just had done everything I could to like eke out two or three hours before I had to go to this place where I just felt like I had no place being, did not want to be, but didn't know where to go. You know what I mean? And didn't know how to like do anything else. And so anyway, there, there's the like very, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's people listening out there who are like feeling trapped and And not sure what's next for them. And so, yeah, like so many people are listening right now and going, It's me too. I remember sitting with the books, getting quizzed about what I'm learning, not knowing how Mm -hmm. do I, how do I share that with you think about your faith? These books, these very books that I'm holding here would really put a damper on that, if not destroy or question that. Yeah. I haven't even, I've had one cup of coffee at this point. (laughs) How do I have this conversation with you? Yeah. I just want to get up these stairs. (laughs) Please leave me alone. Well, and you're probably also feeling, I mean, maybe not, but you're probably feeling a lot of in, like intellectual stimulation and life and energy, mm-hmm. like at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And then you have to like shut that yeah. off. So it's like a like, huge juxtaposition, right? Yeah. I, there was a, I remember I went to, I was at a Barnes and Noble and I bought, I think it was Karen Armstrong's 
God and like a Bart Ehrman book and like a couple others. I, w- I was buying them. I had a stack. I put them on the, uh, for the Barnes and Noble. And there was a lady there and she was looking at him. She's like, are you a pastor? I was like, yeah, I was a youth pastor at the time. She's like, Oh wow. You're an amazing youth pastor. And I'm like, that compliment felt so good, but also I was like, I have to hide these books. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like where I'm at. I used to do, I, so I used to go to borders and it got so bad that like, if people couldn't find me at church, they'd be like, just go to borders. He'll probably be there. Um, yeah. But are anywhere listening to this podcast, if you're millennial or younger, <laughs> borders and Barnes and Nobles are places where you could purchase paper books that yep. were bound together. Yeah. I, I still sometimes get nostalgic for borders. Right. I will literally smell books and think of borders. Yep. Yeah. It was wonderful. But I, I mean, I, anyway, just my point was just I same exact, like go to borders, maybe a town over, right? If I'm being real sneaky and like buy a bunch of books that I know, hopefully the person working the counter or someone from church isn't there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you're thinking, I don't want to live like this, but I don't know how not to live like this because the world that I came from was so different, but then I chose this world. I chose this world. Yeah. And I was... You know, I think I, I think and I'm I'm totally curious to what y'all think about this, but I I think there's things that are harder about leaving the ministry if you if you're a convert. And I think there's yes. things that are easier, right? So the easier yes. things are I did not have grandparents who had grown up at that church. Like it wasn't like I was leaving generations of my family's heritage, so to speak. On the other hand, I had built up like I had abandoned everything. Like I had like up until age 14. I had a whole set of friends and a life in my little town I grew up in. And then I just, I, I told all of it, the whole life, all the friends, all the teammates on the basketball team, all the, like, I am a Jesus freak and I will never bend to any of your, like, you know, worldly tempt. So like at age 22, Alanis 23, Morissette, no, thank you. I'm not doing Alanis Morissette. <laughs> I'm not listening to the Fugees. I'm not going to your concert, you know, to hear third day. I'm not, or Pennywise, right? I'm not doing any of that business. I'm going to third day. I'm going <laughs> Jars of Clay. Jars of Clay. And so it's just like. It's just like that other music, guys. Only it's Christian. Wait, did I say I meant Green Day? Did I say Third Day? See, there it is. See, it's all that syncretism. It's It's coming in. Also, like it was like Creed time when it was very confusing. Are we into Creed? Are we not into Creed? God, it's oh, just, that yeah. was such a, that was a difficult time. It, it was, was for all of us. I think if I could log into my MySpace, I would see debates about that in my DMs on MySpace. To. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're in it, you left all those people. I did. And so my way out was with my ex-wife, we were like, how do we get out? And the way out was like, let's go as far as ways we can. <laughs> so I applied to all these theology programs and she was a, an athlete, a basketball player. So we were like, if we go to an English speaking country, because neither of us speaks, you know, any other language, you can play like semi-professional basketball and I'll get a theology degree. And hopefully I'll be on this path to being a professor at some Christian college someday. Right. The you know, dream. I can, that was the dream. And, and, you know, I, I have a funny story about how I got into Oxford university, but I had no business being there and never expected to get in, but basically get to Oxford university. And for the first time in my adult life, am anonymous, can read anything, write anything, go listen to lectures by people that would have been considered far beyond the pale at the church I came from. Can wear a pea coat legitimately. I, I wore so many pea coats, learned to tie a scarf, you know, things of this nature, and uh, learned to like tea, you know, just the things Americans do when they go uh, across the pond. But she, within six months, we decided we kind of looked at each other like apart from that whole ensconced thousand person church thing, 
we are like good friends, but we are not supposed to be married. So she left. She she went back to the uh, United States. And then six months in, I like was pretty done with church. Like I would go once in a while and I would try, but I just, it was really hard to get out of bed. And um, because she had left, our little like family housing apartment went away and I moved into a dorm. So like within six months, I went from this guy who was like respected pillar of the community with a mid-sized SUV and a starter condo to like, I live next to 19 year olds and I no longer go to church. And um, oh, wow. my wife left and is back home starting her life again. And well, here we are. Can I ask a question? Because I've, I've heard this from a couple of people. When you grow up, so when you go through the conversion that you're talking about, whether that's in high school or college, there's often this like weird second adolescence because you spent your college years like, oh no, like this is, I'm going to get married. I'm going to do all this thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm actually in college now. But you weren't, but you were. Was there any sort of like sense like, oh, now I'm uh, now I'm doing the thing. Almost immediately, like there was a ton of guilt and a ton of shame, right? Like, hey, I like up until six months ago, all these 15 year olds looked up to me as like the pillar of their like they were like, I want to be that guy because he walks with God. Mm -hmm. And now my neighbor is a 19 year old who comes home at 6 a.m. every night because they're out, you know, clubbing. And I, God forbid, drink a beer now. And, you know, I'm just trying to like. And so what happened very quickly was that the guy that I remember being 14, right? The guy who I had covered over, the guy that I had like sedimented and piled on the armor of God onto and was like, don't be that guy, suppress that guy, get that guy out of here. That guy came back really quick. And like, so the, the kind of person that I remembered being at 14, who was kind of a ringleader, kind of a gregarious person, kind of a person who liked to like build a little crew and have fun and, and meet new people, all that came back. And within like a year, I, 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 yes, second adolescence was there. And it's so awkward. Right. And it's so cringy. Like people, like, I remember my friend was like, do you want to smoke a cigarette? And I was like, of course. And I was totally pretending like, of course I want, I know how to, yes, I'm a 24 year old man. I know how to smoke cigarettes. And I totally put the like wrong end of the cigarette <laughs> in my mouth. This is how we smoke a cigarette. Yeah. yeah. Like I put the wrong end in my mouth and tried to light it. And everyone at the party is just like, uh, what, what are we doing? You know, like, like that, that kind of, this is a joke. Oh Don't my God. It was. And it was just when like, you burn the filter, it's better. It's like, yeah, this you guys they, don't know. I'm from California. All the hipsters do that there. Come on, guys. Um, like, this there was like just worse than American spirits for your lungs, guys. <laughs> Getting on in. <laughs> so many, you know, and then like dating for the first time since I was 14 and like going and you on. You have a divorce and your thing. So, like, oh, shame, that, like, guilt. The, right. But you're also yeah. like dating with a different perspective because you're not they, looking for the like, or are you looking for the good Christian girl? You know, everything inside me was like, I'm not. And then my first person that I actually sort of dated in a kind of semi-serious way was like training to be a Baptist minister. Right. And like, I know. And like two months in, I was like, what have I done? What have I done? You know, and here I am again, here I am, you know, I would go like, she would be preaching at a church, like 30 miles away on a Sunday. Like, Hey, do you want to come? I'm like, Sure. You know, sure I do. And the whole time there, I was like, what am I doing in the car? Why am I in the but car? I also think it's kind of you good that she was preaching. Like, I kind of love that story. Plot twist. Yeah. Ba- Baptists yeah. in places not America are different. Different. Yeah, Way different. I'm going to say not, I wasn't going to say not terrible, but I'm glad you just said different. That, different. that, feels, that feels better. I don't know. I am Matt. I think it's interesting how when we like step into this new world, 
we're like freedom, but also what are the rules? What are the rules I can pick oh. up on? Mm-hmm. Who am I in this? Like so many people, like our Discord channel, it's just filled with people going like, I, I like know how to, I know how to do this, I think. But also like, I don't know how to do this. From I, yeah. Dating to like, what do we do with our, if they're not, if they're married, what do I do with my kids? Like, or like, how do I, I don't know how to do this. So there you are. It just felt like, I, I think one of the, so there's, there's like three things at once. One is the guilt and shame of no longer being the guy that everyone at home thought it was. And so of course, all the rumors started to swirl. Oh, you know, Brad and his partner got divorced because adultery, because alcoholism, but you know what I mean? Like it was all like, they needed a reason and none of that oh, was, no. there was none of that ever, but you know, it was, that's everyone needed a reason that the golden youth ministry couple was no longer together. So a lot of guilt and shame there. And then second adolescence, trying to figure out like, how do I do this when it comes to everything? Like, what's my profession? What is a retirement account? What is, what am I going to do with my life? Like, how did I end up going from somebody with a promising future to like a master's student who like lives in a dorm and just isn't sure what he's doing? We just need to pause for a moment. Someone who's a master's student potentially working on their PhD thought, what am I doing with my life? I just like you wake up. I'm a disappointment. Whereas other people and other like expectations will be like, I'm like in it. Like I'm getting my master's, I'm working towards my dad. But there is, if I'm not following the plan, purpose from the purpose driven life, whatever that may be, how have I strayed? And you could be succeeding. You can be. The, a doctor upon doctor, you could have like an MD, a PhD and change. And you still feel like I'm not fitting into this thing. I'm not doing it. And I think something that, I mean, I, I'm curious what y'all think about this, but like one of the things that weighed on me was that I was now a pariah at home. When I went home, you know, people would look at me at the coffee shop and walk by, or they would ignore me or, you know, it was all this sort of like your, your persona non grata. But then I was in this world and you know, Oxford was amazing. I, I, I never expected to be there, but it was a world I never knew how to fit into. Like I, I didn't like, I come from a family of not fancy people. Like my dad grew up in Hawaii with no shoes. And my mother's like, you know, from a family of a very plain poor folks from Missouri. Right. Like we, we were not the kind of people that wore tuxedos or I remember like they served moussaka at uh, lunch one day. And I was like, no idea what this is, but we're just going to pretend and put it in our mouth. And I literally have no idea what moussaka is. It's like, <laughs> it's like Greek, like shepherd's pie like, almost. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, totally. I have that and caviar, like probably daily. Yeah, or as, like as yeah, a California sorry. coastal elite, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Thank you, Bradley, for translating for those of us backwards Midwesterners. No, no but, but what I'm trying to tell you is like, I yeah. would have never known what that was either. Yeah, and I yeah. was just, there was so much pretending. Yeah. So I just felt like persona non grata where I came from. But and pretending, pretending, but pretender where I was going to like your options were to pretend yeah. that you were still that. Right. And I think that when I, when I think about like just deep in my heart and in my body, and then it's this idea of like, either I pretend I'm this or I pretend I'm this. The risky part is to stay in the middle and say, I'm neither this nor that. Now I have to figure out what I am. Ugh. That's it. That's yeah. it. I mean, yeah. I think, yeah. That you and you're, and you're stuck too with the, everyone around you does not have an accurate perception of you. And how do you discern when to just let that go and 
when it's like, no, actually you do need to have a clear picture of me. And that, that, that's, I think that's, that's to me, that's a universal experience for anyone leaving ministry and whatever capacity you did, because everyone has to have their story. And there are, I've heard stories have come back to me of like why I left. I'm like, mm, that's not right. <laughs> but the I people mean, need that. you for like adultery and alcoholism. <laughs> you just like, yeah. you're basically sons of anarchy all on your own. Good yeah. for you. There was probably some, there was probably bestiality in there. I don't know. You know, yeah. we'd have to go. You did it. Check, yeah. We'd have to check yeah. the message boards. But my, you know. my story was that I burnt out and like, literally this is the conversation. Sarah burnt out and couldn't handle life. And basically she had a meltdown. You, on the other hand, I was having zero affairs. I was not doing any sort. Like I just am kind of proud of both of you. But we're just really doing it. But here's the thing. I mean, I, Justin, what I, like I didn't even have any affairs. There was no, no affairs. No, at least you had a I didn't even have yeah. the rumor of an affair. Yeah, but, like, you know, they they people were putting rumors out that I was gay. I'm like, I'm actually not. Like, it would be more compelling if I was. Yeah, but I am tragically straight. Yeah, try as I might, and you know, like it's so. Yeah, it is. It, people just they gotta have their stories. So. But but there are some people that you're like, how do I how do I actually say who who I really am? And because, yeah, you have to pretend. And I, I remember going into the corporate world and my boss kind of did this like email, like introducing me. And then I'm like reading it. And I'm like, please don't say I was a pastor. Please don't say I was a pastor. Oh, he said I was a pastor. You know, so it's just like like it just kept following me for a long time. And yeah, that that sense of I want to be myself, but everywhere I go. I, I'm having to hide. I think that's something people say over and over again. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not this. I'm pretty sure I'm not that. Figure out who the hell I actually am. Apart from like the expectations, apart from people being proud of me. Like there's very, there's very few professions where people are proud of you. I mean, doctor, lawyer, but like it, on a daily basis in the way that I think mission, like ministry and mission, whatever yeah. are. Yeah. And so you're, you're like, okay, I, I'm letting go of that. I'm going <laughs> to, both of you are like, and eh, this is a story people are telling about me. I have to let go of that. But that doesn't excuse you or give you, <laughs> but you still can't avoid actually figuring out who you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. You can say, yeah. I know I'm not that, but there's at some point you're like, and so now all my mental energy has been into saying I'm not that. And then I think the scary and painful moment, I think, Justin, I think you agree for our listeners, for so many people is like, okay, now I know I'm not that, but the problem is there's this like black hole. I There's something there, something that's so compelling that I'm willing to leave all these things that people were willing to give me accolades for. How the hell did you figure out? Because you've done incredible work. You did get your PhD. You've had a really successful podcast. You've helped so many people, including my father, who's one of your biggest fans, <laughs> like figure out how to talk about Christianity outside of the white evangelical American sexy Jesus realm. How? Because you were sitting there in Oxford going, I don't know what this meat is, but I'm going to eat it and act like I care. Like how, how did we get here? Because it's a big leap. You know, I, I think I, again, I think my story is one where in some ways I'm, I was lucky. I was younger, right? I was mid twenties and I did not have kids. So when we kind of got divorced, there was a ton of shame, but it was really this chance to kind of re, you know, start that, that process of who am I? And then I think in ways that were excruciating at times, like crying in my bed at midnight, cause I'm so alone, right? Like I was 6,000 miles away from home. 
in ways that were actually sometimes really super helpful. I was 6,000 miles away from home and my day-to-day did not include running into, you know, this person who I used to teach Sunday school with or the minister's wife. So uh, there was a ton of work. I'll, I'll say that I think part of what has I was I had the benefit of is that I got to do religion adjacent stuff as a scholar. And so I processed my trauma through studying and through like learning. Right. And so I think that was a real privilege. I think one of the things though that I learned, and I'm, I'm curious to what y'all think, or if you have if people who shared stories with you is what I did though do is I, I took the apocalypticism and the kind of anxiety about the future that I learned as an evangelical uh, minister. I took that into everything. I So like when I was like, well, I'm no longer a minister and I have no future in that denomination. I better become a religion scholar. Otherwise I have nothing. I just applied the same like level of like anxiety and apocalypticism to that of like, Hey pal, you don't do this. The world ends. So you better work 12 hours a day. And after oh, you work, yeah. you know, if you, like let's work eight to eight. And then 24 year old me is like at eight o'clock, we're going to go. I, we, I had my roommates in, in Oxford. We'd say, we're going to go ice down our brains. So at eight o'clock, we would go ice down our brains with beer. Right. But it was like, you work from eight to eight and then you're allowed to like, enjoy yourself. But before then, if you don't do that, the world will end and you will have nothing. So you better do it. Right. So I think one of the things I'd say to folks out there, I mean, and I'm curious to what you all think is just like, I, I applied, I think a lot of the unhealthy mindset of what I used to do to the next thing. And it took me years to figure out that I was, I was doing that. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's a hustle but... without a hustle. Yeah. So one of the things that I feel like I'm helping people deprogram from, and I'm, I'm not meaning to pick on Rick Warren, or maybe I am, I don't know. Yeah. But this idea of- like, He'll be purpose, fine. Pick away. <laughs> pick away, yeah. He's still making a lot. Probably when I say his name, money, like yeah, falls. I, yeah. I feel like it's, it's like Scrooge McDuck. Like he's like, he probably lives three streets over from me. And he's like, Give me. every time I say his name and like more <laughs> coins go underneath him. He's made like $5 million um, since this conversation started. Right, I think. Yeah. right, right. The word purpose is literally trademarked because of him. But I feel like this idea that if I just figure out what my purpose is and live into that, that I've done it right. And not only that, but like there's potential for me beyond. So like, yeah, you can have a day job and then work at this. It's a hustle that I cannot explain to friends who are outside of it. Like our meaning and purpose comes from outside of relationship. Family is this purpose. And everyone's like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, I actually don't know what I was working so hard to figure it out. And like nighttime, I, I remember I was dating a guy one time. I was like, you don't watch TV. I was like, no, it, like watching TV is wasting time. And he's like, well, every, but everybody watches TV. And I was like, you know, I like choose a show and then I'll like watch and I binge it. Right. Like, a, like someone who grew up not being allowed to drink soda and now they drink two liters on their own. Right. My fear is that I'll miss out on like important time. I don't even know how to describe it or what important time is, but it like that idea, right? This purpose, what's your purpose? Find your purpose, go, go, go. And I don't think it's not just within Christianity. I think it's all kind of bubbled up probably around like 2000, 2001 idea of like, if you find your purpose and then you just do one thing and you do that one thing really well, what if I miss the thing? Maybe I should say like, late at night to figure out what the one thing is and what if that's my whole thing and I'm meant to like go viral about that one thing like all this sort of stuff and and then mix in that it has to do with people other people's salvation lifelong eternity it is such a soup that you cannot figure out how to get out of so once you get out of it it makes sense to me that 
We were sitting home after working a full day going, what should I do with this free time? Because no time is free. Idle hands. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Yeah. And and it creates so much anxiety and I think a lot of us went into ministry because we took it ser- we took that idea so seriously and, and viewing a, a regular job, I'm using podcast air quotes as as settling as you know like if to to do that, that is a death yeah. you know of my purpose, of my life's mission to be normal because we're all because all pastors are theater kids like, um, you know, like I gotta be special. I gotta be the special one up in front of people. And that's not even necessarily a bad thing, but when you're in the position that all three of us found ourselves in and a lot of our listeners find ourselves their, in where it's like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like whatever my purpose was, I literally cannot do this anymore because it's, it's killing me. It's killing my relationships. I'm, my faith is deconstructing, whatever it, it hit, it hits you hard. Like I, when I first started a corporate job, I had health problems. I had mental mental health problems. I, you know, a lot of it was coming out of that, not because the corporate job was all that hard. I'm finding that just my, if my boss is listening, my job is very hard. It's so challenging. But if my boss isn't listening, like ministry was so much harder than a corporate job was. And so I'm finding I'm just able, like, it's easy in the sense of comparison, but I just found myself remember that first year, just so anxiety ridden that I was missing my purpose, that I, that I was settling, that I was dead in in some way. And something that actually really helped me, I thought about making it the quote for this episode, but I'm not going to, because it's, it's, it's just for me, but there was this episode of Rick and Morty. Like, I don't know if anyone knows Rick and Morty. I love Uh, that this is going to, there was this episode of Rick and Morty. Well, it, it hit me because there's this quote. I just pulled it up. It basically like it was they were just sitting watching TV and they're having this existential crisis and they're like, nobody exists on purpose. No one belongs anywhere. Everyone's going to die. Come watch TV. Like, <laughs> like it's okay to just like Come rest. Watch TV. Just like, rest. like, yeah, sure. No one is here. No one asked to be here. Like, like the world is overwhelming, crazy. Like, let's just relax together and be together. And, and that and a lot of other messages at one time were like, you're not going to figure all this out. The universe is way too complex. You're not going to do everything. There's too much to do. And so kind of just be here now. And if being here now is watch is relaxing and watching a TV show, then like, that's okay. Like there's not going to be some extrinsic thing. That's but also give just... yourself a break that you actually have to say, this is okay. Right. Yeah. Probably like, yeah your it's 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 not just so if you worked in a church for a really long time you could always be working on the next message both of you were in youth work for a long time so when you're home and you're like okay well i'm just sitting here but like i have like an hour now i can figure out how to make this iphone into an object lesson well everything is content everything is content 
And then you're kicking into, now I'm in a graduate program where my like high graduate program. So my ability to say something unique about something is like judged and constantly in. Yeah. It makes sense to me why you'd be like, okay, I should be producing something. Oh yeah. Oh, but I just went to the pub. So like my deep thoughts are mostly like, Bart, he might've been a cool guy. I wonder if Tolkien drank at this bar. I would hug him. He doesn't seem like a hugger. You know why I like C.S. Lewis? I bet you'd be shocked by how many evangelicals like him. Like, I feel like- You're incredible drunk imitator. That was incredible. That was incredible (laughs) drunk imitation. That was amazing. It was like- That is 100% me. Sarah, yeah. Intimidating Tolkien, intimidating Tolkien being drunk. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> so many layers there. Just, you know, wow. So just many layers really of me imitating. Beautiful. Yeah, I just, I just feel like you in that place. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you've written this incredible book that I can't wait for it to come out. You have done all this work to help other people in this space, but how did you get from that guy who was coming home from a pub going, I should probably be doing more? <laughs> yeah. To like, but like, what is that more to the guy who now critiques things that are really hard to critique was like, go in some ways. Like I, I don't, as a friend of yours for over a year now, like I see you be courageous uh, and brave in the spaces you're willing to say, I don't know how this is going to make you guys feel, but this is not okay. Like, (laughs) how did you get from popular guy (laughs) to like, like, like you were kind of an evangelical darling. No, because everyone's no. like, "That's fascinating." He's, you know what? He's a quick. They're like, they're kind of cool because we don't actually know what they are. Do they sing? I don't know. They have like a worship band. So they must kind of sing. Friends, they're friends. I don't know what that means. Um. So like, how, how did we get here? Because you've done so much in yeah, the last know, couple of years. Yeah, I mean, first that's it's flattering. It doesn't, uh, you know, I don't. It's embarrassing to hear that kind of stuff. But I would say I think there's two things that. I've been thinking about as y'all shared kind of bits of your stories is I think there's part of leaving ministry that is a little bit like being a, co- a stand-up co- comedian. So here's, here's the, here's the similarities that I see. Right. So like Justin said, every pastor is a theater kid or a, a drama kid. Right. And so if you're a musician, right. So if you're, if you're like, let's just, you know, I'm old, like, let's just bring, who, who can we talk about? You want to talk about Van Halen or Metallica, or you want to talk about Green Day, like wherever, wherever we want to go. If you want to, you know, like Dr. Dre, the chronic, if you're a musician and you produce like one good song, right? Like when I was in junior high, before I met if Jesus. Top thumbing. Right. <laughs> yeah. One song. I remember being in like seventh grade and whoop, there it is, was the song, right? Yeah. Tag Whip. team, whoop, there it is. And like, there I don't remember is. any other song Where are from the tag, tag team? team. Are they who tagging knows? things? Are they teaming things? Who knows? Get them on yeah. Rev Covery. Like who knows yeah. what they're up to, but you are immortal, like forever. Like you, if I go to a wedding and you put on like, whoop, there it is, I'm dancing. I'm I, cause it's like 30 years. I have no idea. But if you're a stand-up comedian, you're only as good as your last joke. Like yeah. when, last when you- Right. Like when I bring you up on stage, I don't want the joke you told 30 years ago, like like tag team. I want some new stuff. Be funny now. Be funny again right now. And if you're not, you're no one and it's over. And I feel like when you leave ministry, you realize that like you were only as good as long as you kept up. Right. Not the comedy, but the the ministry. And, and if, if if you didn't. Right. If some if you needed a moment for your family, if you needed a moment for yourself, if you needed a moment to rest or to replenish or to take a break or, you know, like whatever the story is that you need, then you're that comedian. Everyone's just like, 
wait a minute, you're supposed to be funny now. Why aren't yeah, he, you? He I was want- he was good ten years ago. Yeah, you know. but now he's worthless. Can now I he's say it? He's become right? Dane Cook. Yeah, you're Dane Cook. You're Louis C.K. Right? You're you're something. So I think there there's that. I think for me the biggest the biggest north star, and I this is so cliche. It is not going to be news to anybody. I'm sure that people listening have heard this a million times, but there's just a moment. There's just moments when you have to trust yourself and know that there are, there is a an instinct and intuition where you are going to lead yourself back to who you are, and you're going to uncover the sedimented parts that have been suppressed and 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 covered over. You're going to discover brand new parts of yourself. It's going to take a lot of processing and a lot of healing, but there were so many decisions I made, right. That could have gone differently. Like I, I did, I didn't do my PhD at Oxford. I, I went back to UCSB, which is only like two hours from where I grew up. And it was the last place I wanted to be. I did not want to be back home. Did not want to be back in Southern California, but, and I could have stayed at Oxford to do my PhD. I could have gone a couple of other places, but I chose that. And part of it was academic and professional, but part of it was like, I wonder if going home at least two or three hours from home, will give me a chance to reconfigure my relationships with like my parents and my brothers and my friends. And I can see what's left of like my story from that place. And it was super painful. And it was like, there were so many nights that just hurt and people I lost, but there's people I didn't lose. And there was a lot of folks who, with whom I was able to kind of transition my life into this version of me. And they're still part of my life. And, you know, that's just for me, one example of like, there's, there's, there's chances to trust you and there's chances to pursue the, the person you want to be. And I think I'll, I'll shut up after this. I apologize. But like one of the things that took so long was to say, can I see the world through my eyes? Can I see the world right through my, my gaze? Not the, not the gaze of those looking at me or expecting of me. Can I be me without looking at me from outside? And can I, can I see the world clearly without wondering what Janice from church thinks of my life now, or what Brett, who thought I was going to be a missionary thinks, or anyone from home shaking their head at me. Can I just see the world through me and my life and my goals, my relationships and my desires? And if I can do that in a way that's like healthy and honest, maybe I'll be onto something and I have no idea what will come of it, but you know, maybe that's the way forward. And so giant pause moment, because this, can I see life through my eyes? a couple of assumptions. A, I even know what my eyes are doing the work of like, is this what I've seen believe? Or is it what like generations? And then I've been taught not to trust. It is profound and people don't always get it right. And, but okay, great. Screw it up. Yep. That's it. Screw it up. Mm -hmm. And can I come back to the environment? Like the thing I love about your story is like, you went back to the environment. You went back to the area where trauma was activated. And in some ways it's easier just to say, I, I let that life go, but forever it would be haunting you. Wouldn't it? Like yeah. yep. well, what happens if I go home? Like forever it, until you go home and say whatever home means to you or the place, can I still hold on to this change that's happened? And in a weird way, I feel like you're saying it wasn't change. You're saying it was a return to like this innate self. Can I trust it? Can I trust it? It's also a, like, you don't get to take home from me because there was right. parts of home that were like so messed up and so hard to go back to and so painful and so cringy, but there's so much love there. There's so much history there. And so can I go back and not have it just be a wasteland of history that I ignore or don't 
acknowledge or can it be something different? You know, like, you know, that's what a pilgrimage is, right? You go out and then when you come back, home is different. Home is not the same. It's a hero's journey. Yeah. Right? And you're not the yeah. same either. Yeah, right. You come mm-hmm. back. Yeah. You can't. And so in some ways, this pivots us into the thing that we're so lucky to know you through is you've done this podcast about straight white (laughs) and you may present a little bit white that is not your total identity straight white american jesus i mean that is a podcast that has a name that causes people to go like what the hell was that yeah yeah fox news emails me every week they want to they want to advertise on the show so fox news does like i love that they want to advertise unironically no they, they they think your podcast is about a straight white American Jesus. Like daily, like the Daily Wire reached out like a couple months ago. Like, hey, can we get a couple spots? And I was like, you're like, oh, I, maybe listen. You're a big Just podcast like, in the religion space, marketing, speaking to the exact Jesus that we want to represent us. Can you imagine? Oh, like, oh, I can't even. Like, um, yeah. I, for those of you that may not know, Brad's podcast is straight white American Jesus, and it's. I, it, it's hard to describe your podcast because you do so much. Honestly, you do a lot of like fantastic news coverage that certainly the kind of coverage that I want to hear a lot of these stories, you know, like, like, hi, we're going to talk about national Christian nationalism, like that. I feel like the news doesn't do, but you do some incredible interviews and everything. And it, it, folks, Sarah and I do 20 episodes and we're tired. <laughs> no, um, you're not wrong. And you're not wrong. <laughs> and Bradley puts out no. a lot of episodes. I, I got a like, lot of yeah. constantly. Like as we've been sitting here, Brad's put out two episodes. Probably. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll check my phone right now. Two episodes of straight white American news. It's like so. It's like so much, so much hot air has to go. I used to be a preacher. Oh, There's like so much hot air. It yeah, has to go do. a place. My wife yeah. doesn't want to listen to me. So, you know, I'll, I'll just say like. When I think of what, how does straight white American just Jesus link up with me leaving ministry is that I think I, I had an experience that I'm sure many people have, which is when you start deconstructing your ministry and your faith, you think that you're deconstructing a certain like approach to the Bible. Like, is the Bible really inerrant or is the church really, is my ecclesiology really this, or do I really believe in that kind of atonement? Right. But then you, you, you go, you keep going. And what happens is that for me, at least was there was a cascading effect of realizing like, oh. I converted in Orange County, a bastion of like overwhelmingly conservative politics. How did that so happen? Weird. In the yeah. midst of in the midst of California, but here it is. Here's where we are. Well, and like, did everything I learn about um, the Bible and politics is that really the immutable truth and and errorless word of God? And then the cascading effect led me to realize, oh, we were working at the behest of like political operatives, and we were our politics was really shaped by like political midwives rather than God's word. And if you keep going down that rabbit hole, you start to really uncover. And if and if if you're not afraid to uncover every stone, you start to realize like, oh, so much of the Christianity I was brought into relies on a certain myth of the United States, a certain myth of the nation, a certain myth of what it means to be a real citizen, a certain myth of whiteness. And we got we got to deconstruct that too. You know, if if you're going to deconstruct Christianity, then for most of us living in this country, that means deconstructing Christian nationalism. And it's, it's, it adds even more to the task, which is hard and, and daunting, but it seems like it's, it's a really important component, at least, at least from where I'm sitting. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like when they warned us about the slippery slope, <laughs> that part, they weren't wrong about. Yeah. Like, cause right. yeah, you, you start pulling Turns that out thread. It's a slide. 
it's fun. Yeah. Like it is fun. Like the slippery slope is enjoyable, but it is like you start pulling at that thread and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna reevaluate the Bible. Like, oh wait, capitalism is not in the Bible. Yes. Huh. That's interesting. Oh, like like early Christians forbade Roman soldiers from attending church. Huh. That's interesting. Cause it was a conflict of interest. Like, it, like, huh. And so there's so many of those moments where then you realize like everything we built is gone is, is wrong, you know? And it, so that becomes it. I, I, it's, I kind of imagine like the person like sitting in the library and like, they get like a little bit of like a book, like put on, on top of them and then like three more books and then six more books. And then like, it just like the, the pile just continues to grow. And, and so I'm very thankful for, voices like yours that are able to really sift that pile very well and and in ways that are digestible but also like just very very to the point and very clear and so and so that's why i i I very much love your work and people that work in this in this area to kind of to help people navigate that because it's too much to navigate alone like it is way too much to to navigate on your own deconstruction on top of leaving ministry on top of all these other things Agreed. And I think, you know, I, I, this all happened for me, 2005, six, seven. And so it's been, it's been 15 years now. And so I feel like that's where I landed now, you know, is, is the ability to kind of go down some of those other pathways and rabbit holes that really are daunting. And I think for me too, this is like kind of a post ministry ministry for me, because I feel like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm really glad I was able to do an academic career because I'm not really good at anything else. Like, I, I'm not, I have no real applicable skills. <laughs> like, I know. We both would like to, like, argue against that, but understand feeling like that's your thing. But like, I, and I know that, I know that that's something that almost everyone feels when they leave ministry. Like, what do I do? Do I have skills? Do I know how to do things in the world? What kind of job can I get? Like, it is so, it is so difficult. So I'm not by any means making, fun. I guess what I'm getting at though is like, everyone has that journey of like, what skills do I have? How can I enter a new sort of job domain, professional domain? What is it I want to do with my life? How can I manage all that with my relationships and my family and my expectations and my desire to live here or live there? And I think for me, I'm really not good at other things other than like reading and writing. And so for me to do this podcast is a real, it's a real privilege because it's like, if this is helping, like you, if if y'all are saying it helps you, I'm so glad because I'm like, this is, this is what I am actually good at. And there's so many things in life that I, I, I can't do. So this seems like my post-ministry ministry. Like I want, if I can help folks and I can help myself by figuring this stuff out, then that's awesome because I, 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 I'm, this is kind of who I am, right? This is what I do. And if I can't, if I, I, I want to find ways to do that, that are not in an ivory tower and not just for some limited number of like scholars who are, you know, basically talking to each other want to do that for people that are like trying to figure out really hard questions that are feel so daunting and so hard and you feel so alone and you feel like no one understands the experience or the questions and so you know we gotta we gotta kind of figure it out together right that's that's what this is all about when i think there's a sense of hope that like the thing that makes you feel most like this is what i meant to do today may not be the thing that feels like this is what i was meant to do tomorrow the story of many of us were sold it's like once I find the thing, that's it. Keep going with that one. Run to the hills. That's the thing. And yet you're saying, like, I feel most myself when I'm doing this thing. It looks different than it did before. And I might have felt like that was myself back then. But I'm gonna give myself permission to say this is it. 
for now. And that is a freedom that when you offer people that, it feels so big. And so when you talk about these big and difficult things, people can let go of the shame of, I didn't believe that a year ago. They can listen to it in a different way because here's someone who has been through it with them, who has said, this was my purpose and meant it and was completely like, you know, just so sure. And yet it wasn't it. And so now what's the thing? And now what's the thing? And I think we've, we've given people this narrative that like, this is you and you don't change. If you change this problematic and it's a slippery slope and you don't know where you're going. But I love that idea of like connecting to your deep knowing and saying, here's who I am today. And he might be different tomorrow, but at least I can share this like shared lived experience with you. And we can question these things and together figure out like, wow, that feels like a weird way to look at that. It's, but to me, that's what it means to be human, right? It's like, so y'all said it early, like you, Rick and Morty, Justin, is this whole, like, you didn't choose to be here. All right. So you didn't choose to be here. All right. And then you have to leave. Like, you don't get to stay forever. All right. So now I'm just caught in between. I'm caught in between this beginning I didn't choose and the end I don't want. And the story we were told is like, well, we came from the garden, which was perfect and, and unchanging. And we're going to go back to the garden, which is perfect and unchanging. So just follow the thread all the way through. But like, have you ever gardened? Gardening is like, every day is different. Every day changes. Every day you have to adapt. Sometimes you have, you know, carrots and broccoli. Other times it's it's peppers and and lettuce. But like the soil changes, the weather changes. Gardening is a provisional liminal thing. It's never done and it's never the same. And yet we were told that gardening or going back to the garden was an unchanging thing that was always, right? If you've ever gardened, it's always, this is what I'm going to do today. This is what I have to do today. Tomorrow will be different. I don't know Presence, what tomorrow will yeah. be, right? Present and in this moment. For yeah. sure, you know, but that's not what we were told. So now you've written a book <laughs> that has to do with this because that, feel, that feels permanent, guys. Why does like podcast, we know it's out there. We know it's out there. But we're I like, think, yeah, it's just a podcast. I think with a, we, I think a book, you really, you got to really think about what down. you're saying. Yeah. A lot more, I think. Like, Podcasts are off the cuff. I can disavow pretty much anything I said a week ago on a podcast pretty easily. <laughs> a book's different though, but but you have this book for people that are like, I only listen to Rev Recovery. Sorry. Tell us about this book and maybe just kind of what it's, not what the point was. That sounds so awful. I was going to say no, that, no. But, like, but like, what is, what is, what is that this book offers and, and maybe how can it help people? Totally. So it's called Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. And I basically wrote it as a a kind of history of Christian nationalism from 1960 till now, trying to show folks kind of how the extremist politics that we are experiencing in the Trump administration and beyond and before is really the, the product of like half a century of political, cultural, religious rhetoric and very extremist politics. But I do so by telling my own story within it. So every chapter begins with a vignette from me standing at Sea with the Pole. I was the kid who didn't want to do Sea with the Pole once a year. So I was like, I'm doing it every Friday. So I'll just stand out here alone every Friday and pray for the like for the I the was nation. just thinking about Sea with the Pole like two days ago. This is a little eerie. So I was that kid or, you know, other stories from uh, fr- from my journey from convert to deconstructed you know, minister. So. I know some of you out there are like, hey, I've read some of the, the good books on Christian nationalism. I'm kind of Christian nationalism doubt. But I guess for me, this is that that insider scholarly perspective. It's that, hey, this is what it's like to live it. And this is this is the lived experience. 
but here's the broader context as well. Like if you want to see the kind of Truman Show dome that you were living in while you were in the Truman Show, that's the kind of book I tried to write. So, you know, yeah. That is a very Dang, brilliant- that's a good analogy. That's, that's a brilliant point because I think that spitballing 70% of Christian nationalists don't know that they're Christian nationalists. Totally. They just like, they, this is normal Christianity from the time of Jesus. It's like, oh, no, 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 honey. Oh, no. <laughs> so Bless like, so this book was what you're saying. This is going to be a good stocking stuffer for all of your conservative Christian family. Is this what you're saying? Well, I, I think it's also too, though, like, you know, if you are somebody who's who's living ministry, think about living in ministry is is undergoing a change in their faith. I think there's so many amazing resources out there, podcasts, Rev Covery, Exvangelical. There's some great books out there that really go through that. My my faith is changing. My profession is changing. What do I do? This is really a, my faith is changing. And every bit of the political cultural matrix that's swirling around me looks different now. Why? Like, why do all these light bulbs keep coming on about capitalism and about, you know, the ways that uh, individualism and the ways that libertarianism and the ways that, you know, the, the modern day GOP has like dominated my life in church. Like, why does every church I go to have an American flag in the sanctuary, right? Like all of those kinds of light bulbs is really the, the, the process that I'm trying to kind of take people through. So whether or not your conservative uncle is going to love this book, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I definitely think there's, you know, there's, there's a question that starts the book, which is what I've been at January 6th. Maybe. Maybe that's kind of scary. That's like super scary. Like maybe I would have been that's, at January 6th, right? But that's like that. beautiful to like be willing to ask it. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, I think about my mom and I were just talking about, so my mom's British, dad's Canadian. And we were just talking about like the feelings about the queen. So I did this little video, quick little video saying I have complicated feelings as a white, you know, middle class woman. I have complicated feelings about the queen. I've never really seen a woman in leadership. And here was this person on the wall. And when I say it got vitriol from both sides, just went after me like I can't even describe. And so it had me thinking through, like I, my family's all in town. We've got all these events going on. So I basically wasn't checking all of this out. Every now and then I happened to like play Russian roulette with comments on Instagram. Don't ever do that, guys. Where I like read them and I was like, oh no, nothing in my life has gone viral. I don't know what it means that 128,000 people watched it in 24 hours. I don't know what that means. It was just a lot and really positive and really negative. And I was like thinking through the queen and like all these thoughts and, you know, my, again, so we were driving home. My mom said something I thought was so quaint was this idea of like, we are in a really chaotic time and we've heard it again and again. If one more person says a precedent, everyone's going to throw a punch at them. Yet it's true. Like my parents are visiting me during a heat wave in California that is so uncomfortable. And we had a hurricane. We are in unprecedented times. The queen was someone who, whether we like it or not, at least was stable. <laughs> right? My mom said, I thought it was so point. Like everything was going chaotic in the world, but the queen was still ruling England. Mm -hmm. And whether we knew what that meant or not. And so to even begin to question what that means for people feels like a lot. Because it feels like the world has flipped upside down for so many people all the time. And especially because some of the news places that people go like make their money on fear. So everything is fear-based. So it feels like there's more things going on in the world. Is that true? Probably not. It's just like, we're only like, if it bleeds, it leads. And also things are really weird and different and rough. 
And we're starting to question these things like Christian nationalism and the things that like feel disorienting or, right? And I understand why then people are like, okay, but at least that thing is staying stable. What I love about this conversation is it feels like in some ways you figured out how to say, what if I'm the stable thing? Like, what if I can ground myself or put my thing in like, maybe I know more than I think I know. So all this chaos around me, chaos and change in beliefs, like questioning, like, yeah, what if I was at January 6th? Can I trust that who I am now could have shown up even in that moment? And it's a great question for people to walk through because I think that people who are really angry and being really mean that are on this side of like, look at this idiot, didn't ask themselves, but could I have stood in their place? Had I lost my job in Detroit and been told by a bunch of people that the reason was the Democrat part, would I then stand there? It's a really important question to ask. Would you have been there? Well, and I think I, I think I, I appreciate what you said there about there's ways that we can react to uncertainty. And, and unfortunately, right, that the easiest way is to, to, to be afraid, to grasp onto things that feel safe and certain, whether that's brute force or toxic masculinity, whether that is, quote unquote, traditional values or principles that supposedly have helped us in the past and will help us now. And we just have to double down on and I would just say that for me, if, if, if you're in a place where you're deconstructing, where you're thinking about leaving ministry, that there's a great adventure to be had about saying life is always uncertain. Like if you are going to be a being who shows up in a world you didn't choose and has to leave it without choosing it, then vulnerability is built into your condition. And so you can try to solve that condition, or you can try to say the adventure of being human is worth it, even though it is frightening and often excruciating. And so I'm going to go on that adventure and I'm going to do it in a way that says taking this, this road of, of exploration is a way to overcome the curse of being this really, really painful being that is aware of the fact that it showed up here with no choice and has to leave with no choice. That's, that's a curse. It's really tough, but I'm going to overcome that. Every time I like don't run from, from uncertainty, but I, I say, let's go. What can we learn? How can we grow? Who can we help? And um, I, I'm here, so let's do it, universe. You know, and that's it's hard, man. There's days you don't want to do it, but it that, like that 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 to me is the way we overcome our curse of being human. You know. Thank you so much for this time. I was just, just thinking, like, I asked you to come on the show, and then you were like, "Yeah, but like maybe close to the book." I'm like, "Can we have you on twice?" So we're no. already committed to having you on again when the book actually comes out. Thank you for sharing. What you just said was so profound. How can people find you? What can they connect to right right now, right away? Yeah, I'm at Bradley Unishi on Twitter. Our show's at Straight White JC. You know, you can look for Straight White American Jesus uh, anywhere you get the podcasts. We are, yeah, we've got a lot of big plans for the coming year for the podcast. I won't, I won't leak them yet, but a lot of, a lot of things in the works. And so, yeah, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and um, anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you so much for being with us and hanging out with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are enjoying the conversations you hear on RevCovery, you can continue the conversation with us and many more incredible people in the RevCovery room on Discord. To access our Discord, please join our Patreon to become part of the RevCovery room community. You can join for as little as $4 a month, and this helps us produce the show as well as gives you access to the community resources. Check it out 
at www.patreon.com slash revcovery. We know that not everyone is able to financially support the show, but there are lots of ways to support us, including giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to like and subscribe across all social media. Revcovery Room is our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook handle, so you can find us there to keep the conversation going. Another live event is coming up, and we want to meet you face-to-face. Our friend Trip Fuller of the Homebrew Christianity podcast is throwing what can only be described as the ultimate podcast party, and you all are invited. Theology Beer Camp is a three-day theology podcast beer nerd fest. It sounds like a great time. And for $50 off registration, make sure to put Revcovery in the discount section. So come thirsty and get ready to get nerdy for three days of theological zest. Uh, that's going to be October 13th through the 15th in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can check it out at theologybeer.camp. And don't forget to use our code. Gets you $50 off. We would love to see you there. Now on to some final thoughts and this week's poem. Thanks for sticking around at the end to hear the quote or the excerpt or the poem that we share that is sparked by what we heard or what we were able to say in the episode. Today, as I'm thinking about Brad and all that he had to share, thinking about how really it's about vision and how our vision changes and it can be ever expansive and growing. So I was looking through a quote that I remember reading a long time ago from Marcel Proust, who is a French essayist and novelist. And he said, the real voyage of discovery consists of not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. So friends, may we learn to have new eyes. And for many of us, may those new eyes be our own. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.